الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان سيدنا ومولانا محمدا رسول صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله واصحابه وبارك وسلم لما تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القران المجيد والفرقان الحميد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان قل هل يستوي الذين يعلمون والذين لا يعلم قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من سلك طريقا يلتمس فيه علما قال الله له به طريقا او كما قال عليه الصلاه والسلام فبشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي صدق الله صدق الله مولانا وبلغنا رسوله النبي الكريم ونحن على ذلك لمن الشاهدين والشاكرين والحمد لله رب العالمين My dear respected elders and brothers We enjoy many names of Allah سبحانه وتعالى وإن تعدوا نعمة الله لا تخطوها We try to count all the names and the bounties of Allah We won't be able to count them all Neither can we enumerate all the names and the bounties Many are the names and bounties of Allah which we don't even even know it is a ni'mat and a bounty. And from amongst the greatest of ni'mat and bounty is that of iman. Allah granted us iman. Allah made us from amongst the ummatis of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But over and above that, Allah has granted us many other ni'mat. And one such ni'mat is the ni'mat of children that Allah has granted. Allah says in the Quran, يَهَبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ إِنَاتَ وَيَهَبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ الذُّكُرُ أَوْ يُزَوِّجُهُمْ ذُكْرَانَ وَإِنَاتَ وَيَجْعَلُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ عَقِيمًا There are some who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give female issues, in other words, girl, child, and some Allah gives boy, child, boy, children, or, or female, child, um, I mean male children. And there are some who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives both male and female children, boys and girls. And some Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deprive them from children. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His wisdom and His hikmat knew best why certain people won't have children. That is in the hikmat and the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Children are a ni'mat from Allah. So on one side Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, Al-Malu wal-Banuna zinatul hayat al-dunya. Your wealth and your children are an adornment. The glitter and the glamour of this world, part of the glitter and the glamour of this world. People, they enjoy the children, they wait for children, they want to play. Like that, the grandparents, they wait for grandchildren to come. Although many grandparents, you know what they say, we wait for the grandchildren to come and we wait for them to go also. So much they trouble these days. But nevertheless, grandchildren are a nema too. Children are a nema. They are the glitter and the glamour of this world. Al-malu wal-banuna, zinatul hayat al-dunya. At the same time, in another verse, Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ فِتْنَةِ That your wealth and your children are a fitna for you. Fitna can be translated in as a test for you. Or can also be translated as it can be a calamity for you too. It all depends as to how you handle your wealth and how you handle your children. If you handle your children and your wealth in the correct way, then zinatul hayat al-dunya. Al-malu wal-banuna zinatul hayat al-dunya. Then it will become a, a beauty and an adornment for you in this world. But on the other hand, if you do not handle the wealth and the children correctly, then they can become a great test for you and according to a translation can become a great calamity for that father can become a great calamity for those parents now every parent after marriage we wait you know we very enthusiastic about children getting a child they even come to them malana malana please make dua you know my wife must get a child 
wife must fall pregnant, I must get children. Or when the wife is pregnant, they will come and they say, make dua, everything goes well. Why are we waiting, enthusiastically waiting for those children to come? And then when the child is born, then parents are so, so happy. And these days they have all this baby shower thing, etc., whatever it is. All this is just to express the joy and the happiness at the birth of the child. And even extended families get very happy and they come to visit, etc. Then as the days go by, parents spend a lot of money on those children. A lot of effort is made. Mothers spend sleepless nights. Fathers go to take the children to doctors, etc. As they grow up, then we enroll them in the school. Then when they finish off with the schooling, then we want to enroll them into what you call universities, etc. And we make a lot of effort and we make great amount of sacrifices. Not only that, we spend, if not millions, but thousands of rands in order to bring up these children. If a person works out from, the, from before the birth of the child, from before the birth of the child, up to today and up to the time when the child gets married and uh, goes on his own and he starts fending for himself up to that point, how many uh, thousands of rands we have spent on that child, how much of effort we have made, how much of sacrifices we have made. You'll find mothers going early in the morning, you know, driving the children to school, going and picking them up, bringing them back again. Fathers also going in the morning, picking the children, worrying about so much of effort and sacrifice in, on, on these children we have made. Surely we want something at the end of the sacrifice. A person opens his shop morning to evening. He's in his shop, plumber working very, very hard, making so much of effort. At the end of his job, he wants something. Electrician wants, wants something. He made so much of sacrifice. He invested his monies in it. He invested his time in it. At the end of that job, at the end of that business day, the businessman wants to see some return. Likewise, we put so much into these children. Thousands and thousands of rand. So many sleepless nights. So much we have. Obviously, we need some return. But then, father sits and thinks that, you know what, my, the future of my child is important. I worries about the... And why do we add or why do we... Uh, spend these thousands of rands and make all these sacrifices because we worried about the future of our, ch our children. That in the future, my child must be happy. My child must be well, well, well off. And then when I grow old, this child must look after me. That is our oh, and this is our, what you can say, de de desire, our umid, our hope that this child is going to look after me when I get old. But sometimes circumstances are such. Life takes a difficult turn. And that son that you had so much of hope that would look after you, perhaps not out of disobedience, but perhaps out of circumstances, he can't look after the father. Sometimes it is disobedient. Sometimes he is not cared about this father. Perhaps the upbringing was not correct. And he doesn't bother about his father. He doesn't bother about his mother. But sometimes it is not because of disobedience. It's because of circumstance. Perhaps because of job he had to move away. And all couldn't move. The parents couldn't move with him. There are so many instances where the son is sitting overseas. He had to go there because of a job, etc. Whatever the case. Or perhaps he married and then the wife took, took, uh, took him away. It happens many a times. So circumstances brought about the situation where he cannot give back to his parents as much as they would have wanted him to give back. But even if a child desires to give back to the parent in this world, he will not be able to fulfill the haq and the rights of the parents or what the parents had done for him. Like one person, he made tawaf of the, and, and the entire hajj, not only the tawaf, but the entire hajj, he made with his mother on his back because of her old age and because she couldn't walk, she was crippled. He made the entire hajj on his 
carrying her on his back. Then he went to a pious person and he asked that have I fulfilled the rights of my mother? He said that even if you carry her like that for a thousand years, you haven't fulfilled one drop of milk that your mother has fed. That is the right that the mother enjoys. But nevertheless, we all have this umid and hope to gain some return for all our effort. No. The greatest return and the real return you will get from these children is in the akhirat, in the hereafter. That is if you brought them up correctly and if you instilled in them the correct values, if you taught them deen, and gave them an understanding of deen. Perhaps on the basis of circumstances, a son, a daughter couldn't see to your needs in this world. But definitely if you brought the child up correctly, she will be able to or he will be able to help you in the akhirat. Definitely. It comes in one hadith. Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that a father on account of some guna and sin of his, he will be led towards the fire of Jahannam. His pious daughters, will come and cling onto the father. They will grab hold of to, onto the father. And then they will intercede in the courts of Allah and they will say, Oh Allah, it is because of this father's upbringing of ours that we, are, we were on deen, we were pious. We are destined to Jannah. We cannot allow our father to go into Jannah. And on the intercession of those pious daughters, that father will be saved from the fire of Jannah. On the other hand, there's a hadith of, of Hazrat, uh, of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam narrated by Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha where she says that a father with a lot of good deeds with a lot of amal and good and good deeds you will find that he will be led towards the fire of Jahannam and dumped into the fire of Jahannam people will ask on that day what was the fault of this man what had happened so pious he, he was in the world it will be said akala iyaduhu hasanatahu his family ate up all his good deeds. What is meant by this is, he didn't bother about the tarbiyat, the dini talim, and the education of his children, and because of that, all his amals got taken away, got destroyed. They became the cause of his entrance into Jahannam. A person by the name of Abdul Rahman bin Qasim, highest scholar of deen, he went to visit Khalifa Mansur during his inauguration as the Khalifa, or just after his inauguration as the Khalifa. So Khalifa Mansur said, I'm, after all, he's a scholar of Deen, Abdurrahman bin Qasim. Give me some advice. Can you give me a few words of advice? Because now he's sitting on what you can say, like the chair of the Khilafat. He's sitting there. He said, give me some, some advice. So, Abdurrahman bin Qasim asked him, should I give you advice based on what I heard? Or should I give you advice based on what I've seen? He said, give me advice based on what you saw with your own eyes. So he said, I have seen Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahmatullahi He had 11 children. 11 children. When he passed away, he left behind only 19 dinars. From the 19 dinars, uh, he left behind 18 dinars. 18 dinars. From the 18 dinars, 9 dinars were used for his kafan, dafan, etc. For the kabrastan, graveyard, etc. And for the 11, ch 11 children and his family, only 9 dinars were left. On the other hand, I saw, I saw Ab uh, uh, Abdullah bin Malik, Abdul Malik bin, bin Marwan, I saw him. Abdul Malik bin, Mar bin, bin Marwan, who also had 11 children. And he left behind for each child a million dinars. Great amount of wealth. But with these eyes, I've seen the sons of Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahmatullahi at one given time giving or sponsoring a, a thousand horses or a hundred horses to go out in the path of Allah. A hundred horses to go out in the path of Allah. But I've seen the children of Abdul Malik bin Marwan begging at the doors of the masjid, begging at the door of the masjid. People said to Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahmatullahi, 
you are leaving behind 11 children. But you're not leaving anything for them to live on. You didn't leave anything of the dunya. Only nine, what you can say, nine, di- nine dinars you've left, left for them. What was his reply? He said, I have taught them the fear of Allah. In others, I've taught them. I've educated them as far as deen is concerned. And if they are conscious of Allah, and if they are upon righteousness, then Allah will look after those that are upon righteousness. And if they are disobedient to Allah, why should I leave behind wealth for a progeny that will use it in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So my dear respected elders and brothers, very very important is for us to understand the importance of educating our children as far as deen is concerned. In Targheeb wa Targheeb, the chapter on uh, ilm, on knowledge, in the introduction they say that when in Quran and Hadith, mention is made of knowledge of ilm. It is in reference to the ilm deen. It is in reference to the knowledge of Quran and Hadith. And therefore, Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, May yuridillahu bihi khayra yufaqihu fi deen. When a person, Allah wishes goodness for him. When Allah wishes that that person should be rightly, rightly guided, Allah gives him an understanding of the deen of Allah. Allah grants him knowledge, ilm deen. Man salaka tariqan yaltamisu fihi ilma. A person who traverses, who journeys, who undertakes a journey, makes some effort, even travels a short distance, like many of us now go to, our children go to madrasa, etc. with the, with the transport, or even if they walk to madrasa also, you, you, you make an effort and you uh, Travel to the madrasa in order to seek the knowledge of deen. Allah will make your pathway and your journey to Jannah very, very easy. Why? Because a person has an understanding of deen. He knows the right from wrong. He knows what is halal, what is haram. He has a proper understanding of the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, a person perhaps might commit some guna and sin. We are all insan. There is the great possibility and all possibility. That a person will commit some gun, some guna and sin in his lifetime. But because of the knowledge of deen, because of the understanding of halal and haram, that believer, that mu'min will not rest until he has made tawbah. Until he has asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. He will have his, what you can say, mindset correct. He will know where he is erring. He will know where he is going off the track and which is the correct path which he has to come come back onto. But when a person is ignorant of the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he doesn't, he thinks he is on the right, whereas he's on the completely wrong, wrong road. Person thinks that he is heading in a direction or the direction of the qibla, but he is completely off track and is heading towards the road of Jahannam. That is why Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that a person who goes out in order to seek the knowledge of deen, Allah makes his road toward Jannah very, very easy for him. In other words, that person has an understanding of what is right, what is wrong, what is halal, what is haram. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, طَلَبُ الْعِلْمِ فَرِيدَةٌ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ وَمُسْلِمَةٍ Then the, the seeking of the knowledge of deen is compulsory upon every male and female Muslim. Unfortunately, we have restricted the acquiring of the knowledge of deen to little children only. Many of us feel we are beyond the point of learning. Whereas that is not true also. That is not true at all. It's a complete misconception. That is ignorance on, on its own. Each and every one of us, we have to continue learning the deen of Allah. How many of us, for years we are reading At-Tahiyyatu Lillahi in our salah, but we're reading it incorrect. Many of the old people, you ask them, read at read read 
They'll start off with At-Tayyatulillahi. There's no such thing as At-Tayyatulillahi. It's At-Tahiyyatulillahi. You tell a person, read, read the second kalima. He will say, Ashadu Allah. It's no Ashadu Allah. It's Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah. Wa Ashadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Like that many, many surahs of the Quran. We have learned it perhaps incorrectly. This does not mean that at this age we cannot correct it. We should correct it. We should learn deen. It is compulsory upon us to know what is right, what is wrong. Imagine for 60 to 70 years you are reading salah and you're reading it completely incorrectly. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us understanding of that. But nevertheless, coming to the point of the children, it is important for us to ensure that our children learn deen and they have an understanding of it. One person came to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he began to complain about his son. That my son is very, very disobedient to me. He doesn't listen listen to me. He has even come to a point where at times he hits me. Also. Umar radiallahu ta'ala began to reprimand that son and scold him. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala had a lot of rob. A lot of rob that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu had. He began to reprimand that son. son quietly listened to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But after some time he asked Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that do I as a son have any right? Umar radiallahu ta'ala said, yes, you do have rights also. The son said, yes, my father, you are explaining to me all the rights of a father. But do I as a son, as a child, do I have any rights? Umar radiallahu ta'ala said, yes, you do have rights. Okay, what are my rights? Said, Your first right is that your father should marry the right woman so that that right woman can be your mother. It's very important for us to understand. It's a very, very important point. Many of us go and we marry anyhow. We go marry anyhow. We marry on the basis of our lust. We marry on the basis of our desires and then the affairs that we had. We marry, we got stuck in the, in the relationship because we committed adultery, zina, whatever it was. The woman got pregnant and now we stuck with it. So we just made the nikah. So Umar radiallahu said, you must choose the right woman because that woman is your children. So he says, oh Umar, my father married a slave woman who don't know anything about deen. Say, so what's my, and the second right is, that you sh the father should give you a good name because the child must carry that name. Unfortunately, today many of us, we're giving names of film stars, of soccer stars, Hollywood, Bollywood and disasters. We're giving names of all these people. We want to give our children all those type of names. Give them names of Sahaba. Give them names of Anbiya Salam with this niya and intention that my child will live up to that name that I have given my child. That's a different topic on its own. It's an entire topic just regarding the naming of a child, how important it is and what are the rights of the child and the rights of the father regarding the naming of his baby and his child. You say, oh Umar, oh, oh Amirul Mu'minin, my father didn't even give me a good name. The name in itself means very bad. And then the third right of the child is that the father should educate the child regarding the laws of Allah and regarding the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he said, oh Umar, oh, oh Amirul Mu'mineen, my father never sent me to learn deen. He never taught me deen. From morning to evening I've been looking after the camels and the goats and the sheep and he didn't bother to teach me deen. Umar radiallahu ta'ala left the child and began to reprimand the father and told the father that you are getting what you deserve. This is what you have sold and this is what you are reaping. So we have to make ensure that our children go to a maktab, go to a madrasa. It is important. This is the time of the year. Unfortunately, you'll find that we first run and look for the best, madrasa, best school. Many of us, you know, it so happens a person is living in a small area, you know, or a what you can say, a middle class area or a low cost housing area. 
Then Allah Pak opens his doors for him. He becomes a bit, a bit wealthy. Then he decides, no, that all of a sudden this area that I'm living in is not right for me now. Because he got money now, so it's not right for me. Let me move to a better area now. And then he moves to a better area. And he looks for a nice house. But what is in his mind is that how close is the best school from where I'm going to move to. The last thought in his mind is a madrasa and a masjid. After he has moved, he settles down there. Family settles down and then he realizes, hey, I'm a Muslim. I haven't heard azan in a couple of ages, in a couple of days. I haven't heard the azan. Oh yeah, and I need to send my child to the madrasa. Now where am I going to find a madrasa now? Now you start thinking maybe online madrasa. Start thinking online madrasa. Or maybe I'll take him a madrasa once a week or twice a week. Perhaps I can take him on a Saturday. Whereas a mu'min and a believer, the first thing you should think about is masjid. First, the second thing is madrasa. Where am I, my children going to? How many children are growing up in areas where they haven't heard the azan for months on end? They don't even know where's the masjid. They know there's no, no salah in the home. When you move to the area, perhaps the father jumps in his car for a few months. He'll go up and down and then he starts missing one salah and a second salah. And then he decides to make one namaz room in his house and he thinks he's done one, done wonders. Whereas a mu'min and a believer supposed to read salah with jamaat in a masjid. It's important for us to choose the correct madrasa for our children. And it is important, remember the learning of deen is not online. Learning of deen is heart to heart. Ustad to student. That is how it came down from Rasulullah sallallahu up to this day. That is why you get what you call a sanad and a chain of narrators. Because it was brought down from Rasulullah sallallahu to sahaba, sahaba to tabin, tabin to tabin. Like that it came down to all the scholars until up to this day, the chain of knowledge still continues. By this online, etc., we are breaking the chains of knowledge. We have to have that heart-to-heart contact with your ustad. That is where the tarbiyat of your child will be made. Online, the tarbiyat of your child will not be made. So let us understand that we have chosen the best school for our children. Let us choose the best maktab. That should be the first choice. Understand when we close our eyes, when we close our eyes, as I mentioned in the beginning of the talk, that we worried about the future of our children and our future. How will this child help you? He will only help you in your qabr and the akhirat if you taught him deen. We say when a person dies in qata'an wa amalu, his, all his amal come to an end, illa min talat, except for treating the sadaqah jariyah you made, and uh, uh, the, your, your ilmun yuntafa'u bihi, not, not, uh, knowledge which you spread to the people, and waladun salih yad'u lahu, Pious children that you leave behind that will make dua and maghfirat for you. How many a janazas we go to? Father's jan- janaza is there in the front or the mother's janaza is there. And the son is standing there with his lips closed. He doesn't know how to read janaza salah. He doesn't know how to read a janaza salah for his own father and his own mother. Why? Whose fault was that? Not the child's fault. The fault of the father. You didn't teach him. You didn't bother about his madrasa. You only were concerned regarding his university. Only concerned about becoming doctor, lawyer, professor, whatever it was. You were not bothered about his akhirat. Remember, if you worry about the akhirat of your child and you teach him deen, actually you are securing your akhirat through him. Otherwise, we will be in problems as far as akhirat is concerned. So alhamdulillah, at this masjid also there is a maktab that is running. There is a maktab. Ustads have been appointed. People from this area should send your children to the maktab. And also one very important point, I see the time is up, but one important point that I would like to emphasize upon is that many of us are taking our children 
out of maktab after primary school. When the child comes to grade 6, grade 7, no, now he must concentrate on high school. Where we got this concept from? Because there are so many issues in the life of a Muslim, especially the child, which the apa or the ustad cannot teach the child if he's in primary school. How are you going to teach a child regarding the laws of zakat, the laws of inheritance, the laws of nikah, the laws of talaq? How do you teach a child in primary school? Those are laws that you teach a child when he reaches high school. Many of the girls, they don't know about haze and nifas. We can't teach. Uh, Appa cannot teach a child in grade 2 and grade 3 the laws of haze and nifas. The laws of haze can be taught to that, to that girl when she's now in high school and she's experiencing haze. She's experiencing nifas. That is when the Appa can teach the child. But now the mother or the father takes the child out, no concentrate on this thing. And they remain ignorant for the rest of their life. They don't know the laws of haze and nifas. That is why they have some very weird and stupid beliefs that the first time the child gets haze, they must crack an egg. So silly they are. Some silly, silly. They don't even know what date to start, what date to end. The problem is leave the girls, they don't know. The mothers don't know. Why they don't know? Because they didn't go to madrasa. They didn't bother to learn these important masail of deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us understanding. Time is up. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us understanding and give us the topic of taking note of these points that we mentioned. Wa akhiru dawana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.